Hi, and welcome to the August 14th edition of Ukraine Without Hype, where we take a look at the biggest stories of the week from Ukraine and the region. I'm Romeo Kukratsky, and beside me is my colleague Maria Romanenko. Hello. This week's news has been dominated by the fallout of the fraudulent presidential election in Belarus. And while that may be the biggest story, it isn't the only one. Ukraine has been setting coronavirus records again. The Kyiv mayoral candidate slate is shaping up. Two Ukrainians, one of which was a former Hormatsky journalist, were detained in Minsk, and the former chief of staff for Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky, Andrei Bogdan, had his car torched for reasons that are as of yet nebulous. But before we dig into all of the various events that have occurred in Belarus, let's start with the news from Ukraine. Maria, coronavirus cases have been going up, there's some new system of red zones, but no new major quarantine restrictions have been introduced, at least in the capital. What do we know about the coronavirus situation in the country as of now? Well, Romeo, Ukraine has been reporting over 1,000 new cases per day since the start of the month, and that was just one day, August the 3rd, when we had less than 1,000. And yesterday's count set a new record, 1,732 new cases. So we have crossed the psychological point of having 1,500 daily cases, and I feel like 2,000 cases uh, every day might be next. It is quite worrying because it does feel like the news is tightening and the virus is getting closer and closer to each of us. And Kyiv, where we are, has gotten worse again in terms of the situation here. We have just been moved from the green zone to the yellow zone and Ukraine as of last week uh, is divided into four different zones. Uh, There is green, yellow, orange, red, and basically each zone uh, has its different restrictions. So for for being in yellow zone, that means that nightclubs and restaurants aren't allowed to work past midnight and hostels have to close. Uh, the worst hit regions at the moment are Lviv, Zakarpattia and Ivano-Frankivsk. The least affected are Poltava, Kherson and Luhansk. But what's this I hear about Russia having a new vaccine? Well, yes. Uh, Russia has registered a coronavirus vaccine. It was reportedly created by the Gamaleya Research Institute of Epidemiology and Microbiology, which is a Moscow research vaccine institute under Russia's Ministry of Health. Is it safe? Is it tested? Well, Russian President Vladimir Putin says that he tested it on his own daughter. He says that her body temperature uh, after being injected with it got to 38 uh, degrees Celsius first and then next day went down to just over 37 degrees and that she's feeling well. This is a quote, by the way. She's feeling well. Her index of coronavirus antibodies is high. And he said it during a government meeting, as was reported by Russian Interfax. So he used his own daughter as a test subject for an untested vaccine? Apparently so, but, you know, Putin being so secretive about his family and everything, we don't even know which of the daughters it is. This is all we have, this quote that was said during the meeting with the other government figures. And, you know, now it's being said that the vaccine should be available for mass use as early as September, and that's like next month. And by the end of the year, millions, and this is a quote again, millions of vaccines will be produced. But there are a few concerns over this because in order for a vaccine to be allowed to be used by the general public, it has to go through several trials. And Putin's vaccine has gone through, and I believe I can call it Putin's vaccine because it was literally produced by an institute that's under the Ministry of Health. So, you know, this is not an independent uh, body that created it. So it has gone through two such trials and it was uh, pending a third one, which was um, to begin in next year, actually in January. But however, it seems like Russia has decided not to wait until January, until this last trial. uh, And when the, you know, the results of this trial would be uh, confirmed, but to make it available earlier than that. 
And, you know, as you can expect, a lot of um, countries are skeptical about this because, you know, the US has been working on their own vaccine, the UK is working on their own vaccine, and it is a lengthy process. And I, th I think like the first time we heard about this Russian vaccine is literally like just, just a couple of weeks ago. So it, has, it does seem like it all went really, really fast. And even the World Health Organization is skeptical. And I mean, when you issue something for mass use, some, something like a vaccine, without properly testing it, what can go wrong? Um, anything that could. <laughs> exactly. But before I get all fired up about this vaccine, let's let's just talk about something else. All right. Well, let's uh, turn to local elections in Ukraine. So those are coming up, and a lot of eyes are going to be focused on the Kiev mayoral race. Um, since it's the capital, it's the richest city in the country, um, and there are a lot of questions surrounding the uh, current mayor, Vitaly Klitschko's re-election chances. And he's facing candidates not only from the ruling servant of the People Party, but also opposition parties like Koulos and European Solidarity and even uh, independent candidates. And Koulos is actually, they pulled uh, something I call like pulling a Zelensky. So what does this mean? They presented a man named Sergei Pritula as their mayoral candidate. Pritula is an interesting choice because so much of Golis's image is based on being this technocratic, no-nonsense kind of adult-in-the-room party. But Pritula is almost the opposite of that. He's a showman, he's a comedian. Like Zelensky, um, he hosted Ukraine's Eurovision selections. Um, and Pritula says he wants to be mayor because he lives here and he wants to see Kiev improve, um, but he's still pretty far behind in the latest polls. A poll from July 26th gave Klitschko a little bit over 40% support, with 11% for Pritula, 9% each for the servant of the people candidate Irina Vereshchuk, and businessman and TV host Andrei Polchevsky. Most other candidates received 5% or less support. And while it may be early days, it seems Klitschko has a significant lead in the horse race. But before we get back to the events in Belarus, and one particular event involving one of our colleagues, we still have another story to cover about Ukraine. Maria, whatever happened to Andrei Bohdan? Oh, you mean the former chief of staff for Volodymyr Zelensky and former lawyer for oligarchy Kolomoisky? That's the one. Well, his car got torched. What? So, a Tesla electric car belonging to Andrei Bohdan, the former chief of staff for Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky, was torched this week by unknown assailants. Police have opened an investigation into the matter on charges of arson, and Bogdan posted on Facebook what seems to be video of the incident taken from security cameras in the garage where his car was parked. And in the video, a man can be seen walking in, laying some item under Bogdan's car, then swiftly leaving the scene. The former chief of staff alleged that he viewed the incidents as a quote-unquote threat from the authorities. So he's blaming his former employer for the act? Well, not in so many words, but it's hard to interpret a you know, quote-unquote, a threat from the authorities in any other way. But of course, there hasn't been much clarity on the situation, so perhaps it will remain a mystery, just like many things uh, in Ukraine do. But what isn't a mystery is Belarus, or at least the latest events there, despite the regime attempting to limit internet access to the outside world. And in this case, the news involves a former correspondent for Kramansky, who traveled to Belarus. Konstantin Ryutsky and Yevgeny Vasilyev were detained the day before yesterday as they were filming another man getting detained by law enforcement officers using their mobile phones. The men are being accused of conducting mass unrest and face from three to eight years imprisonment. Since their arrest, it's emerged that two other Ukrainians were also being held somewhere in Belarus. One is Oksana Alyoshina and the other Roman Shishko. 
Alyoshina, Ryutsky, and Vasilyev have all been released from detention and are currently under the protection of the Ukrainian embassy, though they have yet to return to Ukraine. Shishko remains in detention. Ryutsky spoke to a local Belarusian media outlet and talked about some of his experiences. According to him, they were made to sign confessions and threatened with beatings if they refused. But the experience of these Ukrainians echo multitudes of stories coming out of Belarus, with massive detentions of Belarusian protesters continuing following the rigged elections in that country. Uh, yes, uh, Belarus is basically not a safe place to be in right now. So my heart goes out to all those people who, despite everything, come out to the streets in Minsk and the rest of Belarus to fight for their freedom. And this week, the face of the protest, Svetlana Tsikhanovskaya, has fled the country. She is now safe in Lithuania, where she was offered accommodation by the Lithuanian government. Tsikhanovskaya has a valid visa for the country that allows her to stay there for a year. And the head of Tsikhanovskaya's headquarters, Maria Moroz, came with her. According to Lithuania's foreign minister, Linas Linkevichus, Tsikhanovskaya was pressured by the Belarusian government and had no other choice other than to flee Belarus. After Tsikhanovskaya's departure, two videos emerged on the internet. In one of them, Tsikhanovskaya stated that she made a quote-unquote tough decision and admitted to lacking the strength to push through the very real risks to herself and her family. Members of Tsikhanovskaya's campaign stated that her husband, still a political prisoner of the regime, was used in these threats. In the second video that emerged on a pro-government telegram channel before being spread across the web, she seemingly read a conciliatory statement and admits her defeat and advises Belarusians to stay at home. But this, in this video, it kind of looks like, yeah, she is reading from a piece of paper, so we don't really know what went behind um, this video and how it was shot. This is all happening while people continue going to the streets and according to the latest reports, at least 6,000 people have been detained so far in connection to all these protests. And recently stories emerged that Belarus started releasing some of the detainees because their detention centers are literally out of the capacity to hold so many people. And also strikes have been taking place at several Belarus companies, including state-owned ones, and there are stories of employees of state-owned TV um, quitting because they don't want to spread the government's agenda any longer. And law enforcement officers have been quitting and joining the other side, the side of the protesters as well. There are dozens of such videos being posted online now. And how is Alexander Lukashenko reacting? Well, he's done several statements here and there. Most frequent thoughts that appear throughout them is that the revolution is driven by foreign players, including some countries like Czech Republic and Poland have been named as the ones, you know, who are um, managing and creating all this unrest. So one of the most noted statements was the August the 12th statement about it being unemployed people protesting uh, in the streets. You know, he, he basically called them unemployed people who have a criminal past. He even ordered for the responsible bodies to find jobs for these people. And in relation to the strikes, he threatened the striking workers with the fact that if they stop working, Belarus will be forced to import more products from abroad. And he even named some countries like Russia, Canada, uh, the US and Germany as the ones who, you know, will be jumping and like basically rushing to Belarus with their products. And that would basically um, heavily impact Belarusian workers. And that's why they should all stop striking. One interesting thing to note is the Ukrainian response to this. Ukraine itself went through the Euromaidan, calling for much the same values that the Belarusian protesters today are fighting for. But the Ukrainian government has been notable in its split, or sometimes lack of a reaction, 
beyond general calls for an end to violence. To talk to us about this, Maria spoke to an MP from opposition party Hualis, Ina Safsun, about a motion they're putting forward in Parliament that would officially recognize the election as being fraudulent and put Lukashenko's recognition as president in question. So the Ukrainian government has been lacking in their reaction uh, or a stance towards the Belarus elections and the protests that followed it. And then there was a statement that there will be an official reaction once the official results are out. So it's been some hours. Today we had the the official results published. There's been no reaction. Do you think it's, it's still to come today or are we expecting something today, do you think? So from what I was hearing from the representatives of the uh, Slana Rodo party, they indeed are undecided as to their reaction about the Belarusian elect- elections. Uh, they say that it's the internal business of the uh, Belarus uh, and it's not for us to judge. That was the statement I've heard from one of the representatives of Slana Rodo party uh, just yesterday. Uh, of course, uh, the final decision is to be taken by the president. From what we have been hearing so far, the president uh, has uh, made a very vague and general statement that uh, uh, all elections should be transparent and democratic uh, and that uh, uh, there should be no violence on the streets. Uh, But there was no clear statement as to whether Ukraine recognizes uh, the elections that took place and everything that has been happening after that. We here in Holos have uh, made... uh, Uh, a more clear statement. Uh, We have developed a a draft resolution by the parliament and we shall uh, try uh, to get it passed by the parliament. And the draft resolution suggests that uh, we uh, should not recognize the elections that have taken place. Uh, We should um, pick up against the violence that is uh, taking place in Belarus right now. And we, as the Ukrainian uh, parliament, should also uh, address other parliaments in Europe not to recognize uh, the uh, uh, elections in Belarus that have taken place, uh, and uh, also to consider introducing sanctions against Lukashenko and and his uh, uh, regime uh, representatives, because that is the the, the best peaceful method of influencing uh, a dictator's regime that uh, that we have uh, so far. Uh, but indeed, from what we are seeing from the president's side, there was no clear reaction, and uh, it's really unclear as to why they are so silent about uh, the brutalities uh, that are taking place just two hours away from Kyiv. And um, as far as I understand, you were also calling for an emergency parliamentary session where yes. this would be considered. Do you have a timeline like when this could happen, this parliamentary session? When could you um, accept this motion if, you know, if it is to be accepted? That, that is uh, unclear so far. From what we know is that there will be uh, an, a, a parliamentary session on uh, August 25th. Uh, as and and since it will be taken place anyways, that was the president's call, and and he has uh, called for the parliament to um, uh, to meet. Uh, it would make sense to um, make a statement during that parliamentary session because realistically, I do not think that uh, it's uh, uh, feasible uh, to convene it uh, before that. Uh, but of course, it would make much more sense to do it right away. Um, that is not uh, taking place, however.
Yeah, but it's it's still 11 days until August the 25th, and we see that thousands of people are getting um, arrested yes. or in prisons where they brutally are, you know, they treated very brutally. We had uh, four Ukrainians detained. Um, looks like, you know, three of them are have been released, but they still are to, you know, to make their way back to Ukraine. So it seem, seems like a long time to wait, and it does seem a bit strange to me. Uh, it is, well, it is strange. As for us, we are ready to meet tomorrow or Sunday on Monday uh, but unfortunately that is uh, that would uh, in order to convene parliamentary session we would either need 150 MPs who would uh, sign a letter or uh, the president can can, uh, can call for the parliament to uh, uh, to convene uh, we have 19 MPs who are ready to uh, sign uh, the, the letter nine, to nine, the head. Nine zero. Uh, no, uh, one zero oh, because one, that is one. how much oh, that is okay. because that is how much we have in our faction right mm-hmm. that is the, the, the MPs that we can guarantee um, but uh, from what we have heard from other MPs from other parties uh, they are not as willing to get involved in that business at all and why do you think that may be why do you think they are not willing to get involved I think uh, well there are two reasons one is very pragmatic uh, that has been it's summertime and vacations and lots of MPs are simply out of cave uh, there is not a very good reason for that but uh, that is true so many of them are saying like yes I'm I'm not able to sign any uh, documents or anything because I'm not in Kiev and I'm not going to come back uh, second I think that uh, many MPs are really not willing and not ready to take a stance uh, about what is happening in Belarus right now. Uh, many of them are in- indeed taking this position that, oh, we don't know what is happening there. Uh, let them figure it out by themselves. It's none of our business. And that is the position that I've heard from so many MPs so far who are uh, who are not willing to take any stance at all. Uh, my position here is, is very different. I remember myself uh, during my done period And I remember how important it was for us to hear any news about any statements by any foreign uh, parliaments, governments, uh, politicians. And I believe that is what is very much needed for the Belarusians uh, who are uh, fighting on the streets with the um, with the police. Um, and I think that it's our duty uh, to support them because we have declared that we, we are committed to supporting uh, democratic values and respect to human rights. And we should really you know, act upon what we have uh, been preaching for so many years. And what do you expect to happen if, say, Ukraine does put out a statement condemning the elections and, you know, in support of uh, the protesters? What do you think could happen after? Do you think other countries might follow if Ukraine does that? Um, I really hope so. Of course, that would require some uh, diplomatic work. And I really do hope that the, the leaders of the protesters uh, are doing their part of the job uh, on that as well, though I do realize that they are much more uh, busy <laughs> right now. Uh, but what we in Golos have also done is we have uh, addressed our colleagues from the European Parliament. So we have sent out uh, a letter to them, uh, to those parties uh, uh, who are close to us, asking them, To, to start this discussion internally in their parliaments as well, uh, and also to start the discussion about uh, potential sanctions against Lukashenko and his uh, you know, close uh, circle of friends, uh, because that is the best way that we can actually put pressure upon Lukashenko to resign uh, and to stop the, the violence and brutality taking place. So I do not, uh, so to put it shortly, I do understand that a statement simply by the Ukrainian parliament is is the right thing to do 
uh, it's the right thing to do from the ethical point of view, from the political point of view. Uh, that, however, would not be enough uh, in order to um, stop what is happening in Belarus right now. And actually, in order to stop what is happening there right now, a joint effort by the whole international community is needed. And that is why we should really work closely with the European parliaments, European governments, um, other leaders of uh, the democratic world in general, in order to really put pressure upon them so that they will uh, help uh, to stop uh, the violence on the streets and to... Um, announce a new round of elections and to make sure that Belarusian people will actually have a chance to vote for whom they choose to vote and that their vote would really count. And do you think the West is likely to do that? Because so far, I think we've also seen a lack of reaction uh, there as well, you know, in the US, in other European countries as well. I think there are several reasons for that. Uh, we are in the middle of the uh, summer vacations. We are in the middle of the COVID-19 epidemic. Um, and we are in the middle of a very unstable economic situation. Uh, and for that reason, of course, uh, it's, it's an unfortunate time uh, when uh, uh, amidst all those news, it's really hard to get uh, through with uh, what is happening in Belarus. And that is exactly why I do think that we as Ukrainians should really help them uh, and should really uh, make sure that what is happening in Belarus is heard uh, all over Europe and that European uh, politicians and European governments will actually have to you know, to speak about that and, and to, to take a stance. Uh, because, yes, indeed, what we are seeing right now is that uh, not enough attention is being paid to that issue. And, and, and I think we, as the friends of democracy and um, as the country that does want to be the leader of the democracy in our region, uh, we should uh, help Belarusians to make sure that their voices are being heard all over Europe and democratic world. Okay. And, 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 as, sorry, and as for your question as to whether that is realistic, I think it is realistic that they will uh, have to, you know, to speak up, uh, but that would require additional efforts by the protesters and those who really support them in order to make sure that this is going to happen. Thank you so much, Ina. That was very yeah. interesting. Thanks. Thank you. That's it for this week. If you like this podcast, please rate it on your favorite podcast platform. We're on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Your ratings and reviews really help us. And this is far from our only product. Check out our YouTube videos by searching for Hermansky International and sign up for our daily newsletter by following the link in our description. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, just search for Hermansky International and Twitter at Hermansky. Thank you for being with us today and please don't forget to leave us the best rating you can give us. Thank you. Mm -hmm.